Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I am your host, Steve Halley. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Pete Newsom. Pete, you've had two weeks off. Nothing's happened. What'd you do for your two weeks? Did you read some books, meditate, uh, sit in a kiddie pool back? What'd you do? <laughs> you know, I turned on CNN and watched it for two weeks straight, and there was just like nothing on there. Weird. Just like dead air? Yeah. Chris Cuomo was sitting there just literally not saying anything. Just shuffling papers? <laughs> nope. Still, still nothing happening. No news. That's right. Okay, let's drop this ruse, Steve. Yeah, okay. It's been an eventful two weeks, right, Pete? Yeah, no, you, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> now, on this show, what we normally do is something happens in the world, and we do a really detailed outline. We do a bunch of research. We rehearse, and then we put together a well-considered show uh, about whatever it is that's happening that people generally don't know about. We're not going to do that this time. This time, we're just going to talk about what has happened in the United States of America <laughs> over the past two weeks? <laughs> yeah. Because we're Americans. We've been sitting here watching what is still happening. And we have thoughts. We have questions. So we have no outline. We're kind of shooting from the hip. Pete, what do you think about what's going on in the U.S. right now? Well, so Joe Biden won the presidency. He did. Against Donald Trump. Yep. And... I am glad that he is the person who won that election. I am glad that Donald Trump was voted out of office. I think that's a good thing. Yes. Uh, so what you're saying is you're glad that Biden achieved 270 electoral votes in the Electoral College. Yes, I'm choosing the language one and saying Trump was voted out to convey my take on this situation, which is yeah. that that victory was legitimate. As you I, say, I 200, agree with you. 270 electoral votes for Joe Biden. That's what he needed. Yeah. From what we know about the vote count so far, a majority of the country agrees with you, most likely. Uh, certainly a majority of the voting public agrees with you. 75 million votes and counting for Biden. Yeah. So and Right in that neighborhood. Yeah, and 70 million, roughly, for Trump. So a massive win in terms of the popular vote for Joe Biden, but he also won in the Electoral College. Yes, a narrower win in the Electoral College, incontrovertibly, but comfortable. It looks like when all is said and done, from everything we know right now, and barring any unforeseen changes, Biden will be up over 300 electoral votes. That's, uh, that's pretty damn impressive, actually. I mean, yeah. how many... Electoral votes did Trump have in 2016? I believe 302. Okay. So low 300s and Biden might clear that, assuming he stays ahead in all of the states that he is currently ahead, given the, the data that we have. Assuming none of the ballots are fraudulent. Right, Pete? <laughs> assuming all the votes that, that people cast actually count the way that they're supposed to. Yeah. So essentially everyone in the world... And certainly everyone listening to this knows what's going on right now on Tuesday, November 10th, 2020, which is mm -hmm. that... One week after the election. One week after the election. Donald Trump has not conceded. He is saying that he won the election because in terms of legal, quotes, legal votes, he got more than Biden. 
and that the votes that are being claimed for Biden over Trump are illegally cast votes. Trump is saying that there needs to be a recount in, in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona. Have we seen the results from Nevada yet? Yeah, I think Nevada is basically up, Biden's up 10,000 and counting. Okay. The majority of Republican senators, representatives, the legislature, influential media Republicans, etc., are not saying, look, what Trump's trying to do is undemocratic. We disavow it in the strongest terms. They're saying things like, there's a legal process to challenge this. We need to let Trump have what he uh, is legally entitled to. Entitled to. Yeah. Which is absurd. No recount has ever turned the result around Well, there have been as many... There is a precedent, but it's a false precedent. The precedent is, of course, Florida in 2000, Bush v. Gore. But in that case, we're talking about, I think, 500 some odd votes. Yeah, 572 or 92. In none of the states that we're talking about today is Trump behind by less than 10,000 votes. So we can be 99.99999% sure that a recount is not going to find 10,001 votes that were actually meant to be for Trump or 10,001 illegally cast votes for Biden. It's not going to happen. No one thinks it is. Any claims to the contrary is political theater. But there's a lot of political theater being uh, yeah. being put on right now. <laughs> what what player are we watching here? Yeah. This is disconcerting, I dare say. So what let's see. In addition to what I've talked about Steve, what like Elaborate. What else is going on in this picture? Trump hasn't conceded. He hasn't conceded. And there's kind of three broad lines of response. On the Democrats, obviously, the Democrats are moving forward. A lot of our European allies internationally have congratulated Biden. There are some notable exceptions that are not our allies. Xi Jinping in China and Vladimir Putin in Russia haven't said anything one way or the other. I think that's kind of what you'd expect (laughs) given Biden's likely relationship with those two. Mm Going to be a lot worse than, you know, dealing with Trump for for most autocrats. Erdogan in Turkey, who we've talked about, actually finally congratulated Biden today. Okay. So you you can kind of see by watching these sort of strongmen and autocrats, you know, they recognize one of their own not quite making it to the next step. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's interesting about that is that they've been in those shoes, but their tactic is to take the position of power anyway. Correct. But they all have a stronger command of the institutions in their country. And in most cases, the institutions or democratic institutions are weaker in those countries. Yeah. I don't mean to say it's like a one-to-one comparison. The U.S. obviously has a constitution. Right. Yeah. Biden, for his part, is moving ahead (laughs) with the transition. And his position has been, look, there's an established procedure for this. The General Services Administration in the Trump government is supposed to release resources to the president-elect. And there's a whole process whereby 
there are transition people on the Biden side and also the Trump side that are supposed to work with each other. Because think about like the volume of ongoing work that needs to be handed off successfully across literally thousands of issue areas, domestic, foreign, scientific, you name it, budget stuff. It's like, we're talking about millions of people in the federal government. Yeah, and, and in addition, Biden's meant to be getting a national security briefing daily. Correct. Or at least uh, the, any president-elect. Am I wrong on daily? So he has been receiving intelligence briefings since September, but I don't know if he's getting a daily briefing now. My understanding is that there's generally a national security briefing that one only gets once they've become the president-elect, right. not just when they're running. And Trump was already getting it at this point after the race was declared in his yeah. favor. So the, uh, the Obama to Trump handoff was super smooth. <laughs> yeah, as was, as was the W. Bush to Obama handoff. Yeah, Clinton to W. Bush, not so great. Yeah, so Clinton's bureaucrats, a lot of them removed the W keys from their keyboards famously <laughs> in their audio, in their uh, in their offices they hated him and they they left some landmines for him too so his first you know couple months in office were rocky this is no excuse for you know not listening to mm. intelligence about September 11th of course oh yeah yeah well <laughs> they did they remove the one button from the keyboard as well <laughs> so, <laughs> right it's it, it's just it's just the number 9 there's no Anyway, back to the transition. Biden's moving forward. The Democrats are wondering what's going on. Well, you They're, talked about the, the general services, the, the information the Trump administration is supposed to be giving to Biden right now. Yeah. Turns out that's a norm. That's not like you can, you can break that norm. You can. By law, there's a political appointee in the general services administration that is supposed to ascertain quote unquote, ascertain the winner of the election. And it's it's on one person. And she was appointed by Trump. And she has not yet ascertained that she's a loyalist. I, it, so it would seem. The rest of the party, as you said, has lined up mostly behind Trump. There are some notable exceptions. Mitt Romney, notable exception. Larry Hogan in Maryland, governor of Maryland. Fred Upton, who's a congressman from either Illinois or Michigan. Murkowski, senator from Alaska, I think Collins. These people are worth mentioning, but there's nothing surprising when you say these names because Correct. each one of them has made part of their brand being about being the Republican who's willing to stand up to Trump. That's, that's 100% correct. Collins, Murkowski, especially Romney, they're not doing anything that's new for them. <laughs> by by stating up to Trump, Trump yeah, in this no, case. You're, you're totally right. Everybody else is kind of in one of two camps. One camp is the McConnell camp, and this is the more popular camp from what I can tell. It is, as you said earlier, Pete, Trump has legal methods. He has a recourse to ways to challenge the election results which he is doing. He's filed a bunch of lawsuits all over the place. And let's go through those procedures. We're going to adjudicate them in the courts, mm -hmm. right? They have not said the election was fraudulent. They could say that later, easily. Then there's the other camp, which is closer to what Trump is saying. And it's not just, well, 
there's allegations and those allegations should be investigated according to the proper channels. It is a step beyond that, which is there was a fraud and the fraud needs to be investigated and reversed. (laughs) Two different things. Uh The first can turn into the second, to be clear. The first could be read as hedging. Yes, I think that's right. Another explanation I've read is, you know, if not a hedge for, you know, waiting to see what Trump's going to do, a way to keep the GOP united for the two runoff elections in Georgia. There are two runoff elections in Georgia? Yeah, for a control of the Senate. So one of the things, amazing things that happened a week ago is that it would appear that Georgia has turned blue for the first time since I think the 90s. I think Clinton won Georgia. It's been since then. I think you're right, yeah. And Georgia elects senators a little bit differently than some of the rest of the country. Neither of the GOP senators, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler Mm -hmm. from Georgia, actually achieved 50% of the vote, which means that there's going to be a special runoff election for both of them against two Democratic challengers, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, I believe. Reverend Raphael Warnock. Yeah, I don't know if I have the pairings right. I don't know if Warnock's running against Loeffler or... He is. It's it's Warnock versus Loeffler. And Ossoff versus Purdue. Correct. And control of the Senate, assuming that Biden enters office on January 20th, as is constitutionally prescribed, will come down to whether or not the Democrats can take those last two Senate seats. If both Ossoff and Warnock win in January, then basically the Senate will be tied 50-50 between the GOP and the Democrats, and Vice President Kamala Harris will be the tie-breaking vote. Right. Meaning the Democrats will have control of both houses of Congress. There's an entirely different universe of possibilities for the Biden administration in that scenario. Yes. Yeah. Without control of the Senate, if Mitch McConnell is still majority leader and and the GOP still controls the Senate, albeit with a senator or two less of a majority, it'll be a narrow majority, but it's still enough to forestall a lot of what Biden wants to get done in the next four years. Yeah. There are things that Biden would love to do that that administration would love to do that they simply will not be able to do if they don't get control of the Senate. Yeah, it may be the case that if McConnell wants to play the hardest of balls, which he mostly did against Obama. Yeah, when has he ever not played that way? Yeah, well, certainly recently. Then, you know, the Senate will not approve any cabinet members for Biden. The Senate will not approve any judicial appointments for Biden. It could it could be really super ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of the GOP getting to weigh in on Biden's cabinet picks is just, to me... It sucks, but... It might just be the deal. That is the deal. That's, that's how it works. This is not to say that Biden could not make recourse to the same, shall we say, techniques <laughs> that, that Trump has used, like using acting cabinet secretaries... I think we have a new one as Secretary of Defense, right, Pete? 
That's correct. So just having act, acting secretaries for the duration of the administration. Yeah, it might be four years of acting secretaries. He, he might very well need to do that. But yeah, Biden we'll has always been one to compromise. So he might actually just give Republicans the cabinet officials that they want, which would be pretty sad in my opinion. But we shall see. There's a lot that we shall see. But you, what you were saying was that these Senate runoff races in Georgia really matter a lot and therefore (laughs) keeping GOP unity at this time might matter a lot because that is going to affect what happens in those races in January. And and here's the thing. Trump had a successful election for the GOP except for actually winning the presidency. (laughs) (laughs) So he turned out more voters. He added voters in new demographics especially among Hispanics in certain places. Mm -hmm. He expanded the GOP coalition, I would say across the working class. He lost a bunch of people in the suburbs, not great, but turnout went up. The GOP made gains in the House, which kind of wasn't supposed to happen. And they have mostly held the Senate, which was also kind of not supposed to happen. So Sure, so what you can glean is Donald Trump is in fact very popular among Republicans and and Republican voters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in, uh, in the whole, in yeah, all over the country, it turns out this guy is very popular, and being on his good side is a good thing if you want to win a Repub- an election as a Republican. Correct. Yeah. Even if he leaves office, as he's supposed to, in I can't believe I'm saying even if when he leaves office, mm-hmm. it sh- <laughs> I've inverted it already. Just talking about it in terms of what's supposed to happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's possibly the point of everything he's doing right now. Yeah, to make you could someone be right, like Pete. you speak that way. Yeah, I'm going to correct it. When he leaves office in January, he will retain control of his personal Twitter account, which has been proven to basically sink GOP candidates. I mean, this is a tangent, but it would be very interesting to see if Twitter would consider like suspending his account due to terms of service violations. Yeah, well, they certainly... He, he has been violating their terms of service, but they let it fly because of who he is, but they, they've been putting warnings on his tweets. Yeah, which is new, and they're doing it more aggressively. But who knows? He'll probably be on Twitter, and if not, he'll be on Parler. <laughs> yeah. He'll have a way to affect people's political fortunes, Republicans' political fortunes. Yeah, in yeah. the next upcoming four years. Right. So he still holds power. And so nobody in the GOP really wants to alienate him unless they already have. Right. Right. So the, Mitt Romney is speaking his mind and quotes being brave right now. So Murkowski. one could say that in a really messed up way, one of the main problems with the GOP system right now is that it's too democratic in the sense that the most popular guy is completely in control. That's not really the way the democracy is supposed to work, but it is the way that a certain conception of democracy works. In fact, Hitler, not, you know, I'm not making drawing a direct comparison here, but Hitler was fond of saying, my party has won in German elections, because it did, because we are the better Democrats. Hmm. Interesting. That's neither here nor there. Meaning we give the people what they want. and that's- Exactly. We have a connection with the people. I have a direct connection with the people. I understand them and I speak for them. So what is that if, if not democracy, right? 
it is not liberal democracy. <laughs> it's right. not pluralism. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, what it means is the Republican legislature sees it as the right move to not acknowledge that the presidential race is over. Correct. Even though Joe Biden has 270 electoral votes. Yes. Which is unprecedented. It is. All of this is unprecedented. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen, Pete? I think it's very hard to to say right now, and certainly I'm you or I is not the one who know who could know. But spoiler alert: I don't know the answer. I'm a political scientist. I don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Three days <laughs> three days ago or two days ago after Biden had crossed the finish line, what I would have said was Trump alone is going to say that he won, mm-hmm. and the entire Republican legislature and media apparatus is going to say, nope, Joe Biden won. Donald Trump will be leaving office. There's no legitimacy to these claims. Mm -hmm. This is a bridge too far. And he he is entitled to make sure that all votes were counted legally because any candidate would be. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to change anything. That's what I would have thought they were going to say. Yeah. Essentially, none of them have said that. And in addition, Trump has been making some moves that have also not garnered negative comments from Republican leaders, including firing the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. Mm -hmm. So Trump has what we're in November, December. He has, you know, two months left in his presidency. Why do you fire your defense secretary when you only have two months left? And I should add, for context, Mark Esper has stood up to certain things that Trump has wanted to do. Yeah. He's not, a, he's not a sycophant. He's not a loyalist. The big one was not calling out the troops over the summer to go into the cities and put down the protests. There you go. So he was unwilling to, to send the U.S. military in to deal with problems within the U.S.? Is that what you're saying? Basically. Got it. So what does that bode? I mean, does that suggest that Trump might want someone running the military who is willing to deploy the military to put down civil unrest and protesting in the U.S.? I mean, you can go there. He also didn't like Esper personally. As you said, Esper pushed back against him. This move has been long rumored. Esper apparently had written his resignation months ago. So the relationship was not good. In addition, Esper stood against Trump sort of unilaterally pulling out the United States' remaining troops in Afghanistan, Mm. which he has wanted to do. And there's some speculation that he will do that during this lame duck period. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what he's planning to do, but the one thing we can ascertain is he wants to do something that would have been more difficult had Esper still been there. Yeah, or knowing what we know about Trump, he's just doing it for revenge. That's a good point. Actually, perhaps that's the most likely thing. That's how how petty he is. He's like, now let me just go through and fire everyone who I've been wanting to fire. Exactly, yeah. It's like, there are no constraints remaining on my behavior. It doesn't matter. So I'm just going to burn this thing down and I'm going to screw everybody that has like come against me. Yeah, you can look at it a lot of different ways. You can look at it as something extremely sinister. You can look at it as something petty and basically irrelevant or, you know, something in between, 
right? Sure. I tend to land on more of the petty and insignificant side of things because I think that orchestrating a whole of government coup, given the fact that he didn't win this election and the military is unlikely to support him in any sort of action like this, irregardless of who's actually running it, would require a level of coordination and planning that the administration has not been capable of to this point. Seems less likely to me. And we know that that Trump is vindictive. <laughs> it's one of his main traits. It certainly is. And so maybe what he's going to do next is fire everyone else who's been displeasing him. Yeah, and there's a list, right, Pete? Yeah, I mean, a the list is list. rumored to include Andrew McCabe, the, I believe it's director of the FBI. Yep. And Gina Haspel, who runs the CIA. Right, so that's the whole national security leadership. And you can look at that and be like, well, I would want to do that if I was going to try to take over the government illegally. Or you could look at that and say, this is, you know, these are the people that Trump's just going to fire because he, <laughs> he hates them and he hates the national security Yeah, it's just, coincidentally, he happens to hate these individuals. Yeah. And that's the agencies they happen to run. Yeah, um, I, I think successfully prosecuting a coup in the United States is, is not a small thing. And I don't think Trump's up to it personally. Of course, I hope you're right. In my mind, the thing is that it wouldn't be a direct jump from, I've decided I have won and I'm putting the military in the streets in case you disagree. It would be these lawsuits. Yeah. Potentially going all the way to the Supreme Court. Right. A lot of incremental steps, right? Exactly. And yeah. once it got to the Supreme Court, he, of course, just put a new, a new justice mm -hmm. on the court. So that's an unknown, mm -hmm. how they would rule. I mean, it's pretty... It would be a huge breaking of past actions and norms for them to rule in Donald Trump's favor around these, these accusations of voter fraud. But mm -hmm. it's not impossible. I agree. It's not impossible. And that's the, that's the point at which the military might become relevant. Maybe. I, it's, it's a bummer that we even have to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not not bummed to be considering these things. Yeah, but I think if we're going to talk bummer. about it, we should talk about the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it sucks to even have to consider this. Yeah, in the maybe he's States. just doing these things because he's who he is. He, these firings. Maybe he's firing these officials just because of who he is. And that's that. Another thing he's doing is his administration has directed various agencies in the government to move forward making their plans for 2021 based on a budget from his administration. Mm -hmm. Meaning, he's telling agencies, act as though I will be president in February. Mm -hmm. Proceed as though I will be president. That is a... That's like kind of a layer or two deeper <laughs> than you'd expect from a guy who is just doing surface actions, right? That's a little bit more subtle. It is. And that happened today. That news mm -hmm. came out today. So today is different from yesterday in terms of how possible any of this actually has seemed, how serious it seemed like he was taking it. Right. Yeah. What will tomorrow bring? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And, and again, it's dismaying to be an American and having just voted an election, a very important election, and brought off 
what to us seems to be a successful result. We recognize that there are many people in the United States that don't recognize it as a successful result. You have to think, Pete, that some fraction of those would not go along with an anti-democratic coup. I don't know what I believe as far as that goes anymore. Some number, certainly. Yeah, even if you voted for Trump, doesn't mean that you're going to like throw in your lot. The thing is, sure, but the thing is, anyone who voted for Trump at this point, I believe, is open to quite, almost quite literally anything he would claim. Mm -hmm. They would give some weight to him saying, no, this voter fraud did happen. I think that number might be more than 50% of people who voted for him. Okay. Yeah. There might be more than 50% of people who voted for him who are willing to be like, nope, if he said voter fraud happened, it happened. So Joe Biden did not, in fact, legally win this election. Yeah. And that's okay. as far as their thinking goes. Let's put it at two-thirds of the GOP electorate. And we just said Trump got 70 million votes, right? So two-thirds of that is going to be 42, uh, 45, 46 million people, adults or people of voting age. So let's, let's, let's say, uh, let's round up, let's say 50 million, 50 million people in a country of 350 million, which is about, let's see, one seventh of the population. Yeah. Um, Sometimes the most passionate partisans can convince people who are on the fence though. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I'm just doing some math here. And then if you talk about the electorate, right, which is like, you know, do we think that two-year-olds and 90-year-olds are going to be involved in Civil War II? Probably not. The electorate is, well, there's been about 150 million votes, and we're told that that is a turnout of about 60%. And so... But, That's you know, these aren't the, the order or like the ask from those people isn't go along with a, a coup. It potentially would be like go along with something the Supreme Court ruled on. Yeah, true. Couple other points. The Supreme Court is not automatic when it comes to ruling on this stuff. It, it well, really is. You isn't. know, I'm just playing out worst case scenarios. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We can do other things too. We can talk about <laughs> other things. I'm playing, de- I'm playing uh, anti devil's advocate. Angel's advocate? Uh, angel's yeah. advocate. You've always been an angel's advocate, Steve. I try. So this will certainly play out the way it does. But <laughs> yeah, well, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> I feel very confident saying that. Yeah. About literally anything, anything, it will play out the way it does. Yeah. But if assuming Joe Biden is inaugurated on January 19th, is that the day? 20th. 20th. Yeah. What can he do for the country and what will other world leaders think of us and and what might his foreign policy stuff be? Great questions. The answer is that the president could do a lot all by himself. Can't do everything, but he can do a lot. He can you know, even if the Democrats don't have control of full control of Congress, he can re-enter the uh, Paris Agreement, the climate agreement. He can it issues a, a ton of different executive actions to do things on climate, to do things on immigration, reverse much of what Trump has done, if not all of it, because Trump basically ruled by decree himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
like Obama did before him, because Congress is so dysfunctional. Right. We've now had two administrations that have been ruled by, by decree, more or less, from the executive. Biden could very easily be a third, although I'm sure he would prefer that it not work that way. It might have to. And in the foreign policy arena, he basically has dispensation to do whatever he wants. Congress is nowhere near as involved in foreign policy. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's really good to hear. It's really good to hear when you're thinking about, there's so many potential examples, keeping NATO together. There's there's NATO, there's Iran. What can he do with the Iran deal? Can he reinstate that without Senate approval? No. The Iran, the JCPOA, the Iran deal that, that Obama put together is not coming back it like they can't just bring it back the way that it was. Things have kind of moved too much right. during the Trump administration. There's been some uranium enrichment over there. Yeah, there's been <laughs> in addition to some explosions and fires and who knows what else. Uh, but the Europeans are still very interested. The Iranians are still very interested. They want sanctions right. relief. Yeah, we talked about this. They want probably Biden to win. They want they want a deal. Yeah, they want a deal. And I think Biden would would figure out a deal that made sense for all parties. I, I think the Iranians at this point want a deal more than they want nuclear weapons. Certainly. Um, they've made more progress towards nuclear weapons, so they could kind of have their cake and eat at least a little bit, a little of it too. So, you know, we get that those those sanctions off of Iran. Right. Mm-hmm. This also fits into the situation with Israel and the Arabs, at least starting to come around to recognizing Israel. Some of the some of the Arab states, sure, three I think in the last two months. Yeah, and there may or may not be more, depending on what Biden does in Israel. We can we can expect him to not be as ardent a supporter of Israel as uh, the Trump administration has been, which is just literally handed. Israel a blank check. Right. Biden won't do that. He'll still be pro-Israel, but you know, the embassy might move again <laughs> from Jerusalem back to Tel Aviv. He'll be like, yeah, the Palestinians should have some human rights. Yeah, which that is, would be uh, good. That wasn't part of Trump's outlook. Not not particularly. Yeah, not a, not a big priority. So that will change. I think the attitude towards China will change. In particular, we will still be very hostile towards China, but will be a lot more effective. We'll probably bring it, the trade war to an end and replace it with a new trade agreement instead that will disinclude China unless it plays ball. This was what the, the TPP was supposed to be, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which Japan and Australia and Indonesia and a bunch of other countries went ahead and did anyway without the United States. So it's still there. We could rejoin it. Does that take Senate approval? I don't believe so. It's not a it's not a treaty. It's not a treaty. Yeah, the, the the treaty power is it's important, but it's actually pretty limited given the way presidencies now operate. It's kind of like Congress is supposed to declare war formally, but the last time that happened was I think in World War II. And it will probably never happen again. <laughs> like we get police actions and peacekeeping missions and stuff like this, right? right? They go on for 20 years straight. In some cases, yeah. That particular resolution was authorized starting in 2001 by Congress and it has lasted for 20 years. The Afghanistan thing? 
Yeah, Afghanistan stretched into Iraq. Oh, that was under the same authorization? Yeah, and all most of our activities in the Middle East have fallen under that same sort of umbrella since then. Not so great. Not so great. So is the first sit-down between Biden and Kim Jong-un on January 21st, <laughs> 2020? I don't know what Biden's going to do with North Korea. That Like, that's just... It's still the biggest problem facing the U.S., which is what Obama told Trump as he was incoming. Or like, in it's not, no, I shouldn't say the biggest. Clearly, things have shifted, but yeah. it's a huge problem to the same extent it was in 2016. I, I will say that I expect Biden to unload on Russia, given mm-hmm. everything that's happened, and just like mercilessly punish them for everything that they've done. They've gotten away with a lot. Not anymore. New sheriff in town. I don't even eat popcorn much, but I'm going to get some popcorn out for that. Yeah, that'll that'll be a good one. Like Putin has had a series of lucky rolls, depending on how you look at it. Eventually, you roll snake eyes. Biden doesn't like guys like Putin and Xi Jinping. He is very explicit about calling them thugs and mafiosos and bullies, which they are. Yeah, that's just one of the many ways in which it makes me just kind of breathe a sigh of relief that yeah no the main thing is like he's gonna put america at the head of the table doing what it's supposed to do leading the free world stepping up none of this america first stuff it'll still be actually america first what trump was doing was not america first (laughs) It, it it sounded like it but it was actually much worse for america and the entire world we're going to make we're going to breathe new life into the post world war 2 system of institutions he knows how to do it he was in the obama administration he's going to bring in a bunch of obama alums which you can look at as being good or bad depending on your orientation a lot of people are not happy with obama people coming back in you know do we think that biden is going to downsize the military and adopt like a new type of multilateralism where, you know, some, something approximating what, what Bernie's looking for. No, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be much more, I guess, classically American style international leadership, right? And foreign policy is really his bailiwick. So I think we're going to see a lot of foreign policy activity. It remains to be seen you know, how how much he can actually put the system back together again. Because things have not been good the last couple of years. That's his challenge. Yeah. And it is interesting that he understands foreign policy better than probably most candidates. Yeah. In the he past. has made a lot of mistakes over the years in foreign policy, but he certainly knows everybody, has learned a lot, has a lot of expertise. Yeah, it's been his wheelhouse. Yeah, just as as it happens, like that's what he fo- that's what he focused on primarily. Correct. Yeah, for a long time, and that's an area that needs more attention right now than it has at many times in the past. Yeah, I think he will get out in front as much as he is able to on the climate emergency, and that is the most critical threat to human civilization. <laughs> Talk about things that hinge on that. Senate runoff race in Georgia. That's a you you want Senate control. (laughs) You want Senate control if you want something like the Green New Deal, for instance. If you want two trillion dollars 
in spending on green infrastructure. Sure, but even something that goes half that far, McConnell and company might try to block. Or or throw in like subsidies to coal as part of the package or something ridiculous. They might try to block everything <laughs> across the board. Who knows? We're going to see. I you know, Biden is a guy who genuinely enjoys cutting deals with people that don't agree with him. It's a big part of what he loves about politics, by all accounts. He loves cultivating personal relationships. He has one with McConnell over decades. I think it's legitimate. Obviously, they're political enemies and will remain such. But, you know, we're going to see. We're going to see. Hopefully, it won't be an issue. McConnell's not majority leader. (laughs) That would be best. Yeah. So... Pete, that's 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 one piece of good news? Question mark. I mean, it's it's good. That's it turned somewhat ambiguous, but I think still good. I agree with that. Yeah, assessment. There's another piece of unequivocally good news that's <laughs> happened over the past two weeks: coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, man, incredible news. Okay, so Pfizer announced that. The vaccine that they've been working on in partnership with, I I forget what the other company is, but it's a German company, is 90% effective, correct me if I'm wrong, at preventing coronavirus infection, COVID-19 infection. Yeah. And it's a vaccine that requires two separate injections, I think 21 days apart. Yep. (laughs) But it's something that looks like it works. It does work. 90% is a spectacular result. It's a grand slam result, and it's a big deal. And and as you said, Pete, it's not the easiest vaccine logistically. So it takes two injections three weeks apart, and the vaccine has to be maintained at, I think, 70 below freezing, mm. or 70 below zero. <laughs> like, so basically, the refrigerator industry is about to ramp up, have a very good year. The like the industrial freezer industry and and like you know jumbo jets that have freezers built in them and like all this ah, other stuff. Yes. The U.S. military will be working to distribute this vaccine and any other vaccines that hit pay dirt. The fact that this vaccine has had a great result, I think, is giving researchers a lot of hope that one of the other ten vaccines that I think are in phase three trials will also be successful, one or more. So we could have multiple successful vaccines in the near future. That's cause to celebrate. <laughs> there was no guarantee that we were going to be able to figure, figure, figure this out this quickly or ever. No guarantee. You know, at the, when this whole thing kicked off, scientists were like, well, the fastest we've ever done this before is four years. And there are a lot of viruses that we just haven't been able to figure out. This could be one of them. Could mutate too fast. Trump called his program Operation Warp Warp Speed to try and get a vaccine this quickly. As it turns out, Pfizer was not a recipient of money from (laughs) Operation Warp Speed. But what they did was at warp speed. What they achieved, what US and, and I guess German scientists achieved here is something to be kind of in awe of. It's incredible. It's to celebrate. Yeah. And it's it's to underline the fact that the United States, with its allies, 
can still do great things. You know, this is obviously a result of, you know, private industry, but it relied on American technical expertise and German te- technical expertise, scientific Absolutely. expertise. The the all of the infrastructure we've developed, uh, world class over decades, mm-hmm. has paid paid off finally. It's yep. a new. It's a newish type of vaccine. It's an RNA vaccine. It's new technology and it's easily adaptable to mutations. This is important because it appears that the coronavirus may have mutated in a Danish mink farm, (laughs) unbelievably. (laughs) And people are worried about that. But the way this technology works, it's a lot more agile than the old way of making vaccines. So scientists can actually tailor it to new mutations of the virus. The thought is, Pete, that... Pfizer can produce 20 million doses a month starting now, basically, which means Mm -hmm. that the general population should be getting vaccinated starting in the March, April, May timeframe, which is fantastic. At this moment, you said 20 million per 20 million doses of this vaccine is what Pfizer is saying they can make per month. That's right. Once the infrastructure is in place, perhaps that will accelerate. I'm sure they can scale it up. And That's like kind of how those things tend to go. We're going to get probably a handful of other successful vaccines, some of which will scale faster. There are lots of companies working on one-shot vaccines that obviously makes a mm. huge difference that don't need to be maintained at 70 or 90 below or whatever it is. The distribution is going to be the challenge. And the, uh, my understanding is the U.S. military is going to be working on distributing this domestically. Other things to note is rich countries are going to get this stuff sooner than poor countries. That's not as it should be. (laughs) And a lot of people are talking about vaccine equity. There is an obvious moral and ethical reason that, you know, we would want to distribute the vaccine more fairly than that. There's also like a good practical reason, which is that having billions of people unimmunized for some period of time raises the chances that uh, a new mutation could come out of, for instance, Africa or something like that. You're totally right about that. And so being able to make 20 million doses of the vaccine at this moment sounds great and is great for the outlook in the US. Yeah. But I hope and imagine that Pfizer at this moment is, is thinking about how to scale that up dramatically to distribute it all around the world. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Bill Gates has said, well, you know, I think in the developed world, this will basically be over by the end of 2021. It looks, given what we're seeing now, like that prediction is going to come true, but it may take uh, some amount of time past that for the for the world to be over coronavirus. It might be years. And that's not ideal. It will come down to how quickly the vaccine is distributed to other parts of the world. Yeah. One last note, Pete, on the timing of the vaccine (laughs) announcement. (laughs) I couldn't help but laugh, to be honest. Yeah. What happened exactly? Well, the announcement that 
a vaccine had come through human trials with a 90% effectiveness rate at preventing COVID-19 transmission, came out, I think, two days after Joe Biden won the presidency. (laughs) And look, I'm sure that there are people who wanted Trump gone even more than I did, but I really, really, really wanted Donald Trump to lose this election, and I'm very glad that he did. I'm just saying, I can't think of a group of people that would be more more ardent in their wish to dispose of Donald Trump than scientists. There you go. He is the ultimate anti-science candidate. <laughs> the timing did make me laugh it, because... A lot of people are raising their eyebrows. Look, if the, if the announcement that this vaccine had gone through the trial with this result had come out on November 1st, I think probably Donald Trump would have won this election. I think you're it's right. already that close. We, it, we, we agree that if the pandemic hadn't happened, he would have won easily. I think there's no question of that. I mean, yeah. despite seven months of excruciating hardship, economically speaking, Trump still won a larger, he won more votes total than he did in 2016 by far. Yep. And he won a larger percentage of the Republican voters than he did. Republicans were happier with him in 2020 than they were in 2016. Unbelievable. After the COVID-19 pandemic. So without the pandemic, he would have won for sure. That's our take. Yeah. With the announcement of a vaccine that's likely to work very well against COVID, I think he, he, he certainly would have won. And so the question is like, did the data from these trials really just happen to come in on November 2nd or November, I'm sorry, on November 5th or November 6th? right after the election. I struggle to believe that that is how it all went down. And Trump, of course, tweeted before the election that scientists and the Democrats were slowing down a vaccine to hurt him politically. Look, I think it's possible that actually happened. (laughs) It doesn't matter now. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter now. I think think it's absolutely plausible, though. Like, I don't think they got these results a month before the election. No. I think they, you know, we can wait a couple extra days just to double and triple check everything. Look at the math again. Uh-huh. Carry the, the code one. again. Okay, code oh, yeah. looks good. Sure, that is 90%. I'll be darned. Yeah. I better check it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me slowly walk over to call CNN. Let them yeah. know. It's interesting that those are the two good things that happened and they're related at like a fundamental level. Yeah. But then again, it wasn't the the development of this vaccine wasn't because of anything the Trump administration did. So no, not this one. They can't make the claim that this information should have come out to help them politically. They had nothing to do with it. Interestingly, Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, tried to claim credit for the great news coming out of Pfizer and Pfizer immediately rebutted him and said, we were not part of uh, Operation Worth Speed. We didn't work with the government on this. We worked with our German partners. And while we were doing it, your actions as the, quotes head of the coronavirus task force mm-hmm. made more people get sick and die. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, they, like, it happened fast enough that they had somebody in PR like monitoring the administration for some kind of 
announcement, right? And they were just like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. They must have predicted. Yeah. So I think I think we're done discussing sub, like f- substantively what's happened in the past two weeks in the U.S., right, Pete? What, what remains is what we're going to do. Ah, yes. Because I, I don't think we talked about that up front. We took two weeks off. We have the holidays coming up, you know. Yeah, we're both going to be with family. I, you know, we. I'm going to be with family. I'm sure you are too for Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's a lot going on. We're just tired. We're tired. So we are going to go on hiatus through the end of the year and reevaluate after that. We may be back in 2021. We may not be. We're not sure. That's right. And. Steve, you have uh, been the driving force of this this project, this podcast, for every single episode. We've done it together, uh, and it has become a heavy lift in you know the outlining and you know if we're going to continue doing it, we want to continue doing it right. And we're proud of the product we put out. I feel I feel good about the show, and I've had people come up to me in person, you know. But at a distance, right? Yes, and with masks and say that they're fascinated by the show. They love it. They want more. This is like in line at Trader Joe's, right? Just strangers. Uh, yeah. Exactly. No. Mostly uh, friends and acquaintances and close family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My mom once told me the show was good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I get that every week or two. But um, no, we're, we're proud of the show. But it's it's a lot of work for, for both of us. And... Mm-hmm. We're, it's been a it's been a rough year, Pete. That's putting it lightly, Steve. And yeah, <laughs> as as you say, I'm proud of the work we've done. I think yeah. we make a good show. I do um, too. We're gonna take a break and see. I'm gonna take a break. See where we land in 2021. Yeah, and if we don't come back, we want to thank everybody for going on this journey with us. It's been awesome. We hope that you've learned something, and in learning something. You felt better about the state of the world. A lot of the news we discuss is bad, but understanding what's going on always makes me feel better learning about it because I know that most of this stuff we're going to live through. <laughs> There's a handful of exceptions, <laughs> pandemics, nuclear war, stuff like that. But hey, we're making it through it, you know? And on top of that, I feel like we're giving back. You know, I went to graduate school to learn this stuff. Didn't end up in academia, but it feels good to be able to give back at least a little piece of that to uh, to the community and to a broader audience. And so if we have succeeded in increasing anybody's knowledge about the world uh, during this time, then I'm happy, basically. If we succeeded in entertaining anybody, that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's icing on the cake. Yeah, it kind of is, at least to me. So yeah, here, here, Steve. I think you've done a great job in in uh, taking some of the things you learned and turning around and passing that along. So that's that's awesome. Same to you, buddy. And like, heck, you've learned a heck of a lot. You've basically done a master's in IR <laughs> this year. Yeah, I've kind of kept this under my hat, but I have an IR PhD too. I just didn't want to. <laughs> I've been doing it online. Like, brag too much, you know. <laughs> Nah, you you've you've come from complete layman status to <laughs> I was a potato farmer in <laughs> rural 
Washington State. I would rather be a potato part. farmer. <laughs> <laughs> I love potatoes. Yeah. No, seriously though, you've 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 done an awesome job, and you're an amazing editor too. And uh, thanks, brother. Uh, if, if anybody needs a podcast editor, Pete Newsom's the guy. And Sumi, if you're listening to this, we miss you, buddy. We still miss you. We do, Sumi. You the man. You the man. You still the man. And uh, yeah, man. With that, this might be goodbye or it might be goodbye for now. But what are we going to do, Steve, either way? Well, buddy, we're living through it. We're going to monitor this and every other situation. (laughs) That's right, dude. All right. Take care, buddy. You too, man. Bye. Bye.